Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor Madhudan Krishnan, and I'm joined again by Ned Russell, my friend and colleague, as we discuss Philippine Airlines bankruptcy, Porter Airlines relaunch, and Ryanair's fight with Boeing. Thank you for listening. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er at skiff.com. Check us out on airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Ned. Thanks for joining me again. Hey, Madhu. How are you doing this week? I am good. I am good. So, Ned, um, you covered kind of a, a big but not completely unexpected bit of news that dropped on the Friday before the long holiday weekend here in the States, and that was the bankruptcy of Philippine Airlines. That's um, right. It's it's not the most shocking bankruptcy <laughs> out there. I think few in the industry were surprised by it, but it, it is big news. And it was uh, one of those Friday evening news drops before a long weekend, news dumps before a long weekend. So for those who aren't familiar, Philippine Airlines flag carrier of the Philippines uh, filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S., um, like Madhu said, just before Labor Day. You know, their filing stands apart from some of the other big Chapter 11s that we have seen uh, during the pandemic because they came into it with most of their agreements uh, in place and their reorganization plan already agreed to with their creditors and their lessors. So it, what jumped out to me is, is they're hoping to move through the process within 180 days, which uh, about six months. And compared to Avianca, Air Mexico, and Latam, who are over over a year into, into bankruptcy and yet to be close to exiting, that's uh, really impressive if they can achieve it. You know, one thing that struck me, Ned, is that um, people have been calling this the latest pandemic era airline casualty. And that is kind of true. But Philippine, Philippine Air has been struggling for a long time. I think in Airline Weekly, we've reported that they haven't really made money since 2017. Um, so... What 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 do you think brought this on? And and I mean, we know like issues. Well, well, the immediate ca- immediate catalyst of the of the filing was you know the basic plummeting of revenues while obligations remain steady, and that's the same line that we've heard from every other airline right. bankruptcy and reorganization during the crisis. But like you said, Philippine Airlines has has done a poor job of uh, you know, taking advantage of the boom times. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I looked at, I looked at domestic air passenger numbers in the Philippines, and from 2012 to 2019, uh, the, the Philippine Airlines lost a, a solid, lost a 12 percent, 12 their share shrank by 12 points, even though the market grew by 44 percent. Wow, which is is crazy. And and if you look at the raw numbers, Philippine Airlines and their subsidiary Paul Express. You know, they carry the same number of travelers, give or take, uh, in 2019 as it did in 2012, while competitors Cebu Pacific and Philippines AirAsia grew the numbers dramatically over that period. Well, let's pause there. I mean, the math is really, really startling, right? I mean, you said the raw numbers of passengers, those two Philippines and its subsidiary carried were the same over that seven-year period, while the overall pie grew by 40%. So that, that is do. remarkable. I mean, when you think of it, that's that's like the no wonder the carrier has been ailing. And meanwhile, Cebu is really, um, really taken up the slack where Philippines left off. Right. Yeah, they really did. You know, they were the largest airline in the in the domestic market in 2012, uh, as they were in 2018. But in 2012, the margin was a lot smaller. Uh, they, you know, doubled that lead over the decade. Uh, you know, their share also shrank, but that was mostly because uh, Air Asia grew 
during that period, but you know, there Cebu still captured a lot more market, uh, carried far more passengers, even mm-hmm. though it had a slightly smaller share. So it's really a story of, of these sort of uh, budget low cost carriers just sort of eating Philippine Airlines lunch in, in their home market. And you know, I didn't even look at international data, and I'm sure it'll show a similar trend. Uh, maybe not so pronounced, but it's uh, it's really striking. Yeah, and once again, I mean, the Philippines, like a lot of the, um, a lot of countries in the region, it's an archipelago uh, that it, with the, with a growing middle class, um, growing economy, and poor surface transit links. So uh, it is one of those markets, like we've said about Colombia, like we've said about Brazil, that just is crying out for more air service. And Philippines is the Philpal as the incumbent carrier, the most established carrier, should have been well poised to take advantage of that, but just couldn't. You would, you would. I mean, I agree. You would think. I mean, it's the same story with Garuda in Indonesia. They're, I mean, they're not in bankruptcy, but they've been ailing for years, and it's the same story. Large country, large population, archipelago. So there aren't ground transport links. You would think that these. So these big flag carriers would be able to take advantage of that, but they really have not benefited through this. And, and Philippines Air, Philippine Airlines is just the latest casualty of that. Well, since you brought up Indonesia, I mean, what uh, another thing that's got a uh, that must have hurt Philippines is the continue the ver the patchwork of of COVID related travel restrictions in its region. I'd imagine. Definitely. You know, they didn't dive too much into the restrictions in their bankruptcy filings. They really focused on, you know, revenues plummeted and everything, though that is clearly a result of not being able to fly many of, of the routes. And it's you know, so but, yeah, that's been a challenge. And, and we're even the Air Asia Group, which mm-hmm. operates a lot of places around the region. They've, you know, they've had challenges with that and stuff as well. So it's it's really proving difficult for Southeast Asian carriers to come back as uh, as, as with this patchwork of restrictions. You know, it's funny as we talk about it, and I think about ASEAN Open Skies, which I wrote about in probably 2006. <laughs> so um, you know, and now now we're looking at this though. Of course, Open Skies is separate from health restrictions. So right, yeah. But once again, I mean, I keep going back to this. I mean, Philippines PAL, unlike say Singapore. Airlines has a large domestic market that is best served by airlines, and just never really took advantage of it. Did Pal say anything in its um in its filings about its fleet plans? Yeah, so they plan to remove about a quarter of their their fleet through the bankruptcy process. Uh, Twenty one aircraft. It not clear. Uh, so I was able to find the official rejection requirements for. Uh, 17 of those 21 aircraft. And it's, it's a mix A320s, 321s, 777s, A330s, A350s. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting, though, is they, based on their June fleet plan, they're going to remove half of the A350s they flew, which they had six in oh. June, and, and they are asking, they plan to reject three of those. But, and I found this out after the story came out, Sirium only lists three A350s remaining in their fleet. So mm-hmm. there's the possibility that Paul is going to, to remove the A350 entirely from their fleet through bankruptcy, which surprises me considering, you know, they're, they want to remain a long-haul international carrier, and they're going to have new, no next-generation wide bodies if, if this goes through as, as planned. So what so, wide bodies would they have to operate the intercontinental routes? 
still have A330s and 777-300ERs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're removing some of each through through the bankruptcy, but they will retain a number of both of those aircraft. So it's uh, it's interesting. And, and, you know, I'm not familiar with the bankruptcy court judge, but, you know, I know most of these rejections are approved, as if you look at the Avianca, Latam, Aeromexico bankruptcies. So for, I mean, I have every reason to believe that, that this is going to go through, at least on at this stage, as Paul wants. And so, yeah, we could see them exiting the A350 as a result. Oh, wow. Which will put a, a few more A350s back on the market. If you, well, yeah, I mean, they only had up to six. So right. <laughs> it's not going to be a ton of aircraft. But, yeah, it, it could. It could throw some more in there, though. I'm sure there's uh, airlines like Delta circling if, uh, if, if they want. <laughs> I wonder but, where their triple se- PALS 777s will end up. Yeah, I and mean, that's hard to say. I it I didn't have the vintages, but I mean we've seen triple sevens parted out through this, so you know. If, and if we've it's... also seen Eastern, the kind of startup carrier, announce plans to buy thirty five triple sevens. But are they buying two hundreds or three hundred ERs? <laughs> we don't know. I mean, that's a question that Eastern's going to have to save for us. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they could be going to Eastern for all we know. Right, right. And when I spoke to Eastern, actually, I can tell you right now, I didn't have that off the top of my head, but I will, I do have it now. It is, Eastern is taking um, 200s and 300 ERs. Oh, so there Two, you go. Right. So um, a few uh, a few Paul triple seven three hundred ERs could be landing at Eastern now the, in, a, in a couple months. If and when I spoke to Eastern uh, last week, I mean, um, the CEO told me that the triple sevens are coming from various airlines and they're in passenger configuration. So, but he declined. He said, "You'll you'll be able to figure it out soon enough when you start seeing tail numbers." So uh, I'm going to keep an eye on these tail numbers to see if anyone any of them came from Manila. I will send them over, Madhu. I've got all the MSNs written down. So, yeah. (laughs) All right. And with that, let's take a short break. Welcome back to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Uh, This is Ned Russell. I'm talking with, uh, speaking with Madhu and Krishna. And uh, we are going to talk about all things Porter. Madhu, take it away. (laughs) Well, Porter... um... We're recording this on Wednesday, September 8th, and Porter Airlines, based in uh, in Toronto, Canada, uh, started flights again after suspending flights in March of 2020. So almost 18 months of not operating at all, not operating a single flight, and they're back in the air with a handful of routes. I mean, they're they're starting off with their most frequent, um, sorry, their their largest routes to Montreal, Montreal, um, Monk, uh, sorry, Ottawa. Mo- yeah, um, Montreal. One of the interesting, one thing that jumped out of his- <laughs> Montreal, <laughs> Ottawa, and Thunder Bay. I am sorry about that. I couldn't read my own handwriting. Um, so Montreal, <laughs> Ottawa, and Thunder Bay. Following. Hey, would you please tell us how is Thunder Bay one of their most important routes? <laughs> I don't know. This is just what they told me. <laughs> but actually, one of one of to to. To back up, I mean, I spoke to CEO Michael Deleuze, and he said they're focusing on some leisure routes right now. So that that does make sense, right? And in the next uh, next ten days, they'll be bringing back Halifax, Quebec City, St. John's, Newfoundland, and Moncton. Um, followed by on September seventeenth, their U.S. routes: Boston, New York, Chicago, and D.C. 
So nice. they're, they're and back. I'm looking. Thunder Bay is a it looks like a beautiful uh, Lake Superior side town in Ontario. So maybe so, it's a, right. a vacation I mean, leisure, destination. Yeah, vacation. I mean, that's what uh, Duluth said. The uh, leisure is is what they're planning to focus on at the start. Um, they plan to have about sixty percent of their pre-pandemic capacity back online by October sixth. Now, he didn't really talk about frequencies. I mean, some of these routes like Mo uh, Toronto, Montreal, they operated up to eight times a day before the pandemic. Uh, and they're easing back into it. But like you said, in aggregate, it'll be about 60% of pre-pandemic capacity by October 6th. Very nice. Very nice. What else did he talk about? I know that Porter just unveiled a, uh, a reconfig with their aircraft. They gave the planes a refresh. You know, tell, what, what did he say about that? Yeah, so he said, you know, the, the planes were due for a refresh. They, they hadn't really had a substantial upgrade. And this, this includes seats, carpets, labs, overhead bins, um, pa uh, paint jobs on the outside. Um, and they, they're going with the thinner seat, but keeping the same seat number on their Q400s. Um, so they say it'll be more legroom, but of course they are thinner seats. So we know there's always a trade-off there. Um, right. But uh, you know what? One of the they since they since Porter had really not operated for 18 months, this was he, Deleuze said this was the opportune time for them to just completely redo the interiors of their of their aircraft because they're not in operation. They don't have to pull anything out of service, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that that was. Um, that's one thing. And they are keeping Mr. Porter. I did ask him about the raccoon spokes critter. Yes, I did. I went there. Madhuni Christian, editor of Airline Weekly, went there. As you know, as many listeners may know, um, Porter has a little raccoon spokes critter, Mr. Porter, who is featured on all their marketing. And uh, I have a very soft spot in my heart for Mr. Porter. And I asked if they're keeping him. Duluth said, yes, he is part of our family. So, I apologize to all of our listeners. I have to hear an inordinate, an inordinate <laughs> amount about Mr. Porter on a daily basis. And so you're just getting a taste of what Medusa well, likes to I go did on not about. Ask him, I did not ask him if Mr. Porter's getting any snazzy new outfits to match the uh, cabin refresh. I was tempted, but I didn't go there. It was very tempting, though. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you focus on the important stuff like the cabin refresh with you. <laughs> You know, I, uh, I flew Porter myself in 2019 and was, uh, you know, the, the cabins were due for, for a, a bit of a update. You know, they were starting to look a little long in the tooth. So yeah. that's good to hear. Though I'm surprised they didn't, you know, by go, most airlines when they go to slim lines, use it to add a, add a row or two of seats. So I'm surprised they didn't take advantage of the opportunity to add a little density to their craft. Yeah, I guess they, they feel they don't need it in terms with the routes and the frequencies they offer. Um, I asked I asked Deleuze as well about the competitive landscape because, as we know, Air Canada is, is resuming flights to Billy Bishop um, right. as well. And so we should say the same day. The uh, same day, Air Canada exactly. uh, came in and is adding flights back the same day. So and competition's I, alive and well. And there's a startup, the Waltzing Matilda brand Connect Airlines, that is that is planning to or says it plans to start flights between Billy Bishop and um, and the U.S. And, you know, Duluth kind of waste, waved that off. He said, first of all, Connect does not have an, um, an operating permit yet and has announced a few routes, um, mainly, you know, Philadelphia and Chicago. The only significant overlap they, they're keeping an eye on is Boston. But this is all, um, none of this is written in stone yet. And so it remains to be seen how Connect will come back. And, you know, and as for the Air Canada threat, uh, Duluth said, well, they operated a Billy Bishop before, so... It's really, it's it's nothing has changed. 
Absolutely. Well, it's good to see Mr. Porter back uh, back in the skies. You know, did he say anything about the Embraer order that they have? Yes, he did. So I tried to pin him on when they're arriving, and he the most clarity I could get was the middle of 2022, and um, they will um, they will join the fleet. They will go into revenue service shortly thereafter. So he said by the second half of 2022, they should have their um, the first of their E195 E2s in service. Um, now the Porter has on order about 80 of these aircraft, which he says will at over the course of that, that additions will add about 6,000 jobs to Porter in terms of pilots. They're already starting to, you know, um, ramp up the pilot hiring pipeline, both in terms of upgrades of existing pilots they have on staff and new, new staff. So this is a significant growth because, you know, Porter had 1,500 employees before the pandemic. And now, I mean, furloughed a significant most of those employees and now to support its relaunch has 900 back on staff so expects to grow to grow you know four four times its pre-pandemic size um wow. in terms of that's being pretty dramatic yeah that's a huge not to thing. mention you know going uh longer haul i don't want to say long haul but longer haul for right. an airline that was essentially a, a turboprop operator right and the the New new Embraers will will give them quite a bit of range. I mean, they'll they'll have to move to Toronto Pearson for those op, for those flights because Billy Bishop, of course, can't hand is not capable of handling jet aircraft, or I guess it is capable, but it's not allowed to handle. Well, jet. <laughs> yes, it's not allowed to handle jets. Yeah, the the old uh, tripartite uh, right. agreement, but you know, plenty there. So but yeah, flying. that's so. Oh, sorry, Ned. I was just going to say they're they're planning to fly from Pearson to you know. Pre- they're going to have the the new jets based in four airports: Toronto, Montreal, Halifax, and Ottawa. Um, they have an he wouldn't tell me what new routes, but they're um, they're keeping an eye on Mexico, the Caribbean, and Western Canada, and more destinations in the U.S. So it's quite a significant expansion for what had been or is now, uh, you know, basically a regional carrier to the eastern half of Canada and near near U, U.S. routes in the Northeast. Sounds like it, my dude. Sounds like it. So, you know, Porter relaunching uh, and buying Embraer Jets, of course, isn't the only fleet news out there. One of the uh, other things that, that dropped on Monday while the U.S. was on holiday is uh, Ryanair and Boeing have broken off talks uh, on a MAX 10 order. Do you mean um, MAX 10 or Game Changer 10? <laughs> well, I think it depends on what side of the aisle you sit on there. I'm going to go with a Max 10 order, but uh, you're welcome to call it a game changer, Madhu. Yes, Ryanair CEO um, Michael O'Leary has kind of single-handedly launched this rebranding campaign to call the Max the game changer. So and the only airline in the world is who refer, which refers to its 737 Maxes as 737 game changers, which always takes me aback when he starts talking about that. But try let's... God bless them for making fetch happen. Anyway. <laughs> it means to be seen. But so anyway, it's interesting. So I, I, do you know the timeline? Like they, they've apparently been talking about the Max 10 for, for a number of months. Uh, I don't know the exact uh, number off the top of my head. You know, and this is it came at the same time as, as O'Leary uh, repeatedly berated Boeing for delays to the Max 8200, a.k.a. Yeah. Game Changer Game 8200. <laughs> you know, and, but um even though he was he was quite negative about the delays there, you know, they've been very happy with the performance of the jets that have arrived once they started arriving. So, you know, it's uh, you know, 
yeah, it, it's it's somewhat it's it's not surprising, but at the same time, somewhat surprising that they've, they've completely broken up talks in such a public fashion. Yeah, but, that's uh, what's interesting to me, Ned, is that you know these negotiations for aircraft are, take years and are complicated and often contentious, and there's bargaining tactics on both sides. But I I can't remember a single time in my time covering this industry where the negotiations have happened this publicly. I mean, all throughout the year, Michael O'Leary has been really, really negative toward Boeing. Um, you know, saying in a recent industry conference a few months ago that uh, he was, quote, quite upset with Boeing for the delays on the game changers um, or the maxes and, was you know, did not mince words about that. And in, even in this most recent statement they put out about the, the cancellation of, or the the ending of talks or the dash tens, he couldn't help inserting a jibe saying it's no wonder the jet two and um, other airlines are turning to Airbus <laughs> aircraft, um, given how, how badly Boeing's been treating them. So it was just kind of, to me, surprising. Surprising, but also I, you brought it up there. I read it as, as a negotiating tactic. Yeah. So first of all, we have not seen that many airlines switch to Airbus uh, through all of this. Jet 2 is notable. Uh, Delta is not switching. They were mentioned in their lease, but, you know, they've done several add-on orders, the 321neo. But we haven't seen an airline switch to Airbus. We, we have seen actually more new orders for the MAX come in, in the last six months. Caveat being they lost orders and right. Airbus picked up orders during the grounding. So it's kind of, it starts to equal itself and out. And the other caveat being, of course, that Airbus has a Boeing, uh, backlog of what, more than 5,000, 6,000 A320 family aircraft. So even if you wanted an Air A320, you couldn't get one for several years. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And then the second part of the negotiate of it being a negotiating ploy that I wanted to bring up is uh, John Ostrow made this very good point. You know, Ryanair and Boeing were in talks over a 737 NG order in, uh, you know, around the financial crisis, 2008, 2009. You know, Boeing told Ryanair to go. They weren't willing to discount it. And then guess what happened in 2013? Ryanair came back and ordered 175 737-800s. Uh, and then a year later, they ordered the MAX 8200. So I, I personally don't think that this is the end of the story between Ryanair Boeing on the Max 10. Sure, they might take a couple of years uh, cooling off or to get in other places, but I think once they're both, uh, you know, they're both ready to make a deal, they'll get back to the table. Because yeah, I th Ryanair I mean, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, Ryanair is not about to switch to 320s uh, right. or 320s. And, and let's not forget, they have uh, what, almost 380 Max 8200s on order right now. It's not 300, but it, it's, it's up there. So it's not like Ryanair is sitting here with nothing in its order book and, and needs planes imminently. They have a robust backlog coming over the next couple of years. Absolutely. And it, it is a negotiating tactic. I think just what is surprising to all of us who watch this industry is just how publicly it's playing out. But then again, that shouldn't surprise any of us, given we know we've been covering Michael O'Leary for a long time and none of this should be surprising. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. All right, Ned, I guess we'll, we'll leave it there for this week. I um, want to thank you for joining me again. It's your job. Always a pleasure, Madhu. Thank you for joining us once again, and I'm glad Mr. Porter lives to fly another day. Bye, Madhu. Bye.
Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skip.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.